Hi, this is Jim Swilly. Welcome to Metron Live. Metron is a Greek word that means sphere of influence. I believe in living your best life possible, and that's the reason for this podcast. This is my Metron. Now let me help you discover yours. I don't make these announcements on my 1111s, so um, I need to make sure that I do them today. Uh, Four things that are coming up. Uh, First of all is we'll be back in the theater. We're in the theater first Sundays of every month. That's the way we like it. Um, We'll be back there December 4th. That's the first Sunday of December. Hey, Holly. Uh, and uh, Jonah, my son, will be um, doing the music for that. Just got back from Scotland, and uh, he'll have some good stuff for you. Then on the 17th, we got people flying in from around the country for this event. We're going to be at the Red Light Cafe on Saturday, uh, December 17th. Uh, Choreology will be doing, he and a band, his band will be doing a um, Christmas program for us. Uh, you can go to bishinthenow.com and get your tickets for that. Uh, it's This is not a dinner, but there is food that you can order there at this venue. Uh, I'm going to go by sometime this week and go ahead and they're going to do some party trays for us. And if, hey, D- Danny, if you can bring some uh, goodies to even add to it, that would be wonderful. Then in January, we will not be in the theater the first Sunday. Uh, hey, Courtney, because the first Sunday is uh, New Year's Day. So we're going to, on that month, we're going to do it on the second Sunday, which is uh, January the 8th. Uh, Johnny Almanza, the fabulous cello player that we had, uh, he's going to be back. And um, I'm very excited about that. And then, last but certainly not least, is Meditation Weekend number 17. This will be our seven. One of these, and that's including the time off we took for the pandemic. I mean, it's it's amazing that we've done this many, uh, and they've all been amazingly successful. Uh, this one is going to be in Helen, Georgia. We'll obviously be inside for that. Uh, that's going to be January twenty first and twenty second. But we will still follow the um, uh, schedule of uh, sunset on Saturday and sunrise on Sunday. Um, okay, good. You got all those. Be there. Um, let's do some affirmations. <clears throat> I am blessed. I am a blessing. I am. It's funny. I can hear. I'm speaking, and I can hear me speaking on delayed in there. <laughs> uh, let's see. Um, I am well. I am wellness. I am. I am is the highest affirmation. That's what we always want to. Uh, work up to, yeah, it's terrible, uh, Courtney. Uh, it definitely is. Let's, uh, everybody stay, stay with me on the, that's 11-11, by the way, Pam. Everybody just, just for a few minutes, try to, try to focus on what I'm saying. Um, hey, Constance, um, I am peace. I am peaceful. I am. Um, I am healed. I am healness. I am health, not healness. Healness isn't a word. Y'all, everybody stop talking for one minute. Just listen. If you could just listen to me for just one minute, that'd be, that'd be great. Just hold off on your comments for just one minute. Um, what was I saying? Let me try it again. I am healed. 
I am health. That's better. I am. Um, I am free. I am freedom. I am. Um, I am um, uh, serene. I am serenity. I am. I am calm. I am calmness. I am. Um, I am liberated. I am liberty. I am. All right. Before you start talking again, just breathe with me a little bit. Just, just try to listen to me just for one minute. Um, we're going to breathe in through the nose and hold it, and then we're going to uh, exhale in through the nose and exhale through the mouth, okay? I love when we add the breath work to the affirmation. So we're, we're going to go in, hold, exhale. Inhale, hold, exhale. Inhale, exhale. In, out. Give me a couple more. In. Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. All right. Um, we speak into this atmosphere and we say, let there be light. Um, I say this a lot. I'm going to say it again today. Synchronicity is all over this word today. Uh, I make no apologies for pointing it out. Here's the thing about synchronicity and serendipity, which are virtually the same thing. The more you notice and celebrate synchronicity, the more, more it will happen. The more you see it, the more you will see it. If you say, well, I never see stuff like that, it's like, that's, that's why you never see stuff like that, because you never see stuff like that. When you see stuff like that, you start seeing stuff like that. Let he or she who has an ear hear. So, um, I was thinking about, um, what I wanted to talk about this morning and I don't, um, I'm not aware that I do this intentionally and, you know, I'm just going to go on with or without it because the show must go on. But I think when I have a word, I, I think I must sort of subconsciously put the bait out there just to see if it's going to be confirmed. Uh, it used to happen a lot when we were in the theater every Sunday, and I would have, for some reason, when I used to have Marshall Ruffin come in and uh, play for us, which we had him a lot. They, he and Corey have moved now, but when he lived here in Atlanta, um, it was amazing to me how synchronistic his song choices would be how much they confirmed what I was about to talk about. And so it's not that I 
at this point, I don't need synchronicity to for a green light. In fact, I can create synchronicity. However, I, I love the idea of a higher power. If for you that's God, for, I mean, it's God for me, even though my definitions of God have changed. Uh, but um, sometimes if I have a word, I'll just sort of subliminally, subconsciously put it out there just to wait to see if anybody picks up on it. And um, uh, intuitive people uh, do. Well, I, I just, <laughs> speaking of Doug, he just wrote agreed. Uh, he did it this morning. And when I wrote this to him, I said, you won't be surprised at this because it, it happens. I'm sure it happens to you a lot. It happens to us a lot. Uh, I have synergy with lots of people. Uh, but I definitely have it with uh, Doug. And uh, so today it was just kind of a, he kind of speaks prophetically in stream of consciousness. It's like uh, he'll just, like when he's having a thought, he just writes it down and, and it sort of flows out. And tomorrow, tomorrow's word may be sound different, but, uh, but in the big picture, it is line upon line and precept upon precept. And so today he just, it was kind of like he was just thinking out loud and he said, um, he wrote, uh, thank you, Ed. I think, I, I believe that about him. But um, when uh, he, he, he wrote, and I, I shared it on my page so you can see it. He was reminiscing about when he was a young man in the ministry and when uh, his journey was different from mine, just like, uh, I don't think Eddie Sellers is on here today, but like Eddie's uh, relationship to Pentecostalism was very different from mine. He was raised in the, like the apostolic church, the oneness church. I was raised in Trinitarian uh, Pentecostalism. And you may think they're the same, but they're really quite different. And... Um, so Doug's journey was more like in the prophetic movement, uh, more of the creative end to the warfare movement, and a, a lot about oneness and, and that sort of thing. And his, his point, and he used me as an example, he said, I can see why Jim Swilly's attraction to the Word of Faith message led him to Law of Attraction, because it's, it's basically the same thing which it is. And uh, his point was, he said, I remember arguing for hours with people about against the Trinity and about the oneness of God. And he said, it basically, and Doug, if I'm putting uh, words in your mouth, uh, feel free to correct me on this. But the, the gist of what he was saying is, my um, allegiance to oneness theology sort of segued me into a larger picture now of what I believe that it's all God. Like it started with it's all God in, in Christian circles. Now I realize that training was preparing me for a larger concept. Is that what you said, Doug? I, I'm, I, at least that's, that's how I read it. And what he said about me is true because... Uh, um, like I was the the 
classical Pentecostalism I was raised in was um, uh, not really even that much about the gifts of the Spirit. It was a lot about what women wore. Uh, it was a lot about, not, so, not my dad. My dad never really preached. Okay, good, Doug. Thank you. Um, my dad never really, I mean, you can imagine him being married to my mom. It would be unlikely that he'd be preaching about what they used to call clothesline preaching. But by osmosis, that world was very much about surface holiness. A lot about, um, very hard. I never heard anybody preach about love, but I heard a lot of people tell women not to wear makeup, women not to wear pants, women not to cut their hair. Everybody not to go to movies, don't go to dances. I mean, you like if there was a word cloud, you know what word clouds are when they, they show the number of words and the, the whatever word has been used the, the most, it'll be the biggest. The Pentecostal word cloud for me would be don't. It'd be like D-O-N apostrophe T. That was basically, you could sum up our theology in one word, not Jesus. Don't, <laughs> if you're even thinking about it. Uh, if it even nearly seems pleasurable, don't do it. And um, so um, my extended family uh, would, um, you know, they were like my Uncle Harry's church. They were more, because they came out of the denomination, and they were more like uh, pre-charismatic. Like that's, where that's where I went when I got what we call baptized in the Holy Spirit, the night I got called to preach. Because they were more, they started getting more into the Holy Spirit, less about rules and regulation. Uh, yeah, we had a lot of that too. Yeah, I, I would, Doug, I would add don't and uh, Jesus coming as a thief in the night. It was never as good news. It was, it's coming as a thief in the night and you're going to miss it. Um, Ken was just telling me that some guys out where he works, you know, he works at Reynolds, which is like Georgia's Riviera. And there's some guy out there, I guess he's on a bullhorn. I don't know, but he's doing street preaching and they, they don't enjoy it out there. His is mostly about divorce. There's one guy over here. I haven't seen him in a while. Ironically, he's called prophet love, but he's usually outside of, uh, um, the varsity, and he always has a sign that says 98% of all people in church are going to hell. <laughs> oh, hell is so funny. But anyway, um, so I'm, I'm getting to a point. Uh, yeah, Thief in the Night, the, you know, the movies. All right, I'm going to stop looking at your comments for a minute because I, I, I got to get this said and we got to get on the road. Um, so that was kind of our Pentecostal experience, sort of nearly charismatic. But then, um, uh, it was right when I first started preaching. I was four, I just turned 14. And we had, um, my dad hired the, these youth pastors. They were like an, uh, like an older couple, but they were our youth pastors. And I loved these people. And they, um, they introduced me to uh, the, basically the faith mo movement. 
they got me up early on a Saturday morning. We drove over to Birmingham, and it was an all-day seminar with Kenneth Hagen and Kenneth Copeland, and I forgot who else was there. But I remember, I, I wasn't into it when I first heard it, but it was, I, I, like, I didn't have neuropaths for it, because the, the preaching I'd sat under several times a week my entire life was don't, 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 don't. And when I went to hear these guys, it, they were talking about the words of your mouth and speaking to the mountain and the authority of the believer. And I, I was like, what are y'all talking about? Like nobody's, why did anybody threaten anybody here? There is, there's no, nobody's threatening anybody here. Because my idea of church was where you go to get threatened, where you go to get warned, where you are given uh, a, an ultimatum. And that's why, I mean, uh, Brother Hagen passed away a few years ago, and, and I, I, I don't even have words. I had, but the other guys have all, you know, the way they've embraced a political cult figure and replaced Jesus with him is, is unbelievable to me. But in the early days, when they, still, when they still preached about Jesus, that was super empowering to me. And I really... Uh, was drawn to that. And then when I went to my uh, Assembly of God Bible College, that was when, um, those of you that are from the Lakeland area, that's when Pastor Carl Strader, he pastored First Assembly there, but his church was very, very charismatic friendly, very much like my dad's church became. My, my dad's church, in a lot of ways, was kind of patterned after Carl Strader's church. Back, back in the early days, before they built Carpenter's Home, but back when they were still just there at First Assembly. And, um, and that was very, very controversial. Like, I would go to First Assembly uh, on a Sunday night, and on Monday in class, the whole discussion would be about whatever heretic they had uh, uh, minister in um, uh, their service the night before. And so I learned early on, if I had a Kenneth Hagin book, I had to keep it under wraps because you could nearly get, I don't think you'd get expelled for it, but you'd get, you'd get in trouble for it. The, the, the faith message was considered a heresy when I was in Bible college. So um, then later on, like in the 80s, uh, when, once some of these like TBN and Trinity, but especially uh especially TBN, um, not TBN, PTL, especially PTL, um, the more they would have more charismatic people on, there would be a, um, there was a rising of what they would call heresy hunters. So all, there was a, a whole spate of books of people exposing you name it, the, the, the well-known charismatic ministers of the day, uh, it was it was exposés on them. That was huge back then. And so um, in all of the exposés, it became obvious that um, Hagen's teaching and, and Fred Price's teaching, all of them, uh, were, were very much influenced by a man who passed away in the 40s. His name was E.W. Kenyon. And um, these youth pastors I had really turned me on to all of his books. Um, and I loved them. They, I, I found them uh, intoxicating. Uh, okay, Maria, I will, but let, let me 
I'm, I'm going to try to stay on task right now because i got to get this said. Um, basically, Maria, if you Google it, Faith Message is it's a, it's a movement of a neo-Pentecostal group that um, largely based out of Tulsa, Oklahoma. If you Google it, you can find it. It's, I'm not sure there's a Wikipedia for it. Um, so uh, it turns out that Kenyon, back in the day, went to the Emerson School, Ralph Waldo Emerson, who I love. So they um, uh, sort of pointed Kenyon out as a heretic and a mystic. So a lot of damage happened to the faith message. It might be one of the reasons why they, they moved more to politics. But um, uh, when I found that out, it made me love E.W. Kenyon even more because mystic to me is not a bad word. My, the definition of Jesus to me, Jesus uh, was a mystic when he walked on the earth. Mystic's not bad. It's like if somebody ever says to me, you sound new agey. I'm like, yeah, I do. A lot of my stuff does. It sounds new agey, new thoughty. Some of it sounds word of faith. Some of it sounds Pentecostal. I'm, I'm uh, <laughs> you know, Shaka Khan saying, I'm every woman. I'm every teacher I ever heard. I'm every teacher. And they all helped me identify things that I still hold on to today. Um, I don't identify with labels anymore, but I don't deny my heritage either. So um, back to what Doug posted today, when he said um, he said that about me and him, and I, I wrote on there because I was already thinking about this, because there's something very deeply satisfying when somebody says something or does something or gives something to you that really makes you aware that they know who you are. There's just something about it. I don't even have a word for it, but it's very endearing. It's very freeing. It's very defining, especially when you're surrounded by people who don't have a clue. I'm not saying I'm surrounded by people, but every once in a while somebody will say something to me or suggest something to me or give something to me, and I think, you clearly have zero idea of who I am. Like over the years, uh, <laughs> some of the suggestions people have made to me in church circles, which was, yeah, definitely confirmation, Ed. Um, uh some of the things people, and, and they nearly always would leave the church. They'd come make some cockamamie suggestion to me of what they thought I should do. And I, I would try to be nice about it, but I, I would think, have you, have you ever listened to anything I've ever said? Because I don't know how you could think I would ever want to do something like that. But, um, and then, you know, they would always get offended and leave. Uh, which is why when people start giving me suggestions for the ministry, I kind of glaze over because I've just had so many decades of people thinking they know me that don't. And it's so gratifying when you see someone who does. I mean, really, for the most part, that defines what the Metron community is. Metron, to me, is that remnant of people 
out of the church in the now community for the most part who really knew who I was. Uh, there were thousands in the church in the now community that freaked out because they didn't know who I was. But those of you uh, who might have even been surprised at me coming out were still like, well, I didn't see that one coming, but it doesn't shake who I know that you are. You're my pastor. You have the words of life. So that doesn't, I mean, I, I guess I'll have to, you know, redirect some of my prejudices. But as far as us, that's, you know, that doesn't change anything. And, and that's, that's incredibly endearing when you have people in your life that, oh, they know me. They know who I am. They know what I, they know what I'm about. And, um, so I said all that to say, um, uh, I have confirmation today that what I'm about to tell you is the word. I'm not saying it's the definitive word of the Lord, but for me and for my gift, for my Metron, this is exactly what I'm supposed to say today. Um, I have referred a lot to the fourth chapter of John. I seem to be in John a lot anyway. I'm, I'm for the most part, a New Testament minister. But um, I do have certain go-to stories that I uh, visit a lot. And um, <laughs> thank you, Constance. I know you are. <laughs> uh, but... I want to revisit it today mainly because of when Doug wrote that today, I wrote a comment on there. I said, come see a man who told me everything I ever did, which I'm sure he, I don't have to explain Bible references to him because he knows, he knew what I was talking about. But it's the story of the Samaritan woman, the woman at the well, that after she had her encounter with Jesus, her reaction to it is, she goes into uh, her community and, and speaks to the, her, the people she knows, and she says, come see a man who told me everything I ever did. And that's, that's an important thing, and I've taught on that part of it for years, but I, wanna, I need to peel another layer of this back because uh, this, is, this is just important. And um, I'm going to read this. I think I'm going to read this out of the NIV. Uh, I'm just going to go through a few of these verses. I'm on my uh, Mac looking at it. Um, so, uh, um, first thing I want to say is uh, part of the reason I am a cinephile, a cinephile is someone who loves the cinema. And you kind of have to be taught. Like, there's certain classic movies that people always suggest that, you know, if you're a true cinephile, you should, you should be interested in this movie. And there's some of them I'm like, I just don't get that at all. And then the more I've studied it and understood the intent, the backstory, and what the director was trying to do, then I'm like, well, it may not be on my list of favorites, but I do get it. I understand why that's a classic or why it's on the AFI list, or whatever. And one thing that I've learned over the years is how really to appreciate directors. And directors, a really good director, there's always a reason why he, or sometimes she, mostly he, there are some female directors, um, 
why the director sets up a particular scene a particular way. And when you, the more you learn how that works, it, it really becomes very cool to watch that. Like, oh, I love the way that guy, you know, set that up. Because when you hear what that actor is saying, you look at, you know, he's talking about the flow of life and he's standing by a river. Like, it's not, it's not accidental. There's a reason why each one of those scenes is chosen that way. And I'm, there's no doubt that my understanding of the scriptures is greatly affected by uh, m my love for cinema. Because sometimes I'll read a story of Jesus and I think, wow, that's so interesting that he chose to teach that sermon on a river or he you know, was in the temple when he said that. It's, it's like you, you read much more into it and you get a lot more, much more out of it. So this is how John chapter four begins. It says, now Jesus learned that the Pharisees had heard that he was gaining and baptizing more disciples than John. Although in fact, it was not Jesus who baptized, but his disciples. So he left Judea and went back once more to Galilee. So right there, that shows you that's setting up the context for this story. It's like the Pharisees were so clueless about what mattered to Jesus that they're counting, they're, they're trying to set up this uh, competition between him and John over baptism, and Jesus didn't even baptize people. And he's like, you know, when he hears that, he's like, I'm out. I got to, you know, sometimes there's some, there's some people in your life that you love, but you're like, I have to get away from you for a minute because... The air around you is suffocating me. You're so, you're so out of touch with who I am. I need to go find somebody who just gets me for a minute. And um, um, so he's basically escaping this. He's like, I cannot with the Pharisees today. So it says, now he had to go through Samaria. So he came to a town uh, in Samaria called Sychar, near the plot of ground Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Uh, Jacob's well was there, and Jesus, tired as he was from the journey, sat down by the well. It was about noon. So I don't believe this is by accident. And one reason I love John 4 is it, it touches on all the important topics. It's, it's, um, it's about redefining God. It deals with... Um, sexism. It deals with racism and bigotry. It deals with xenophobia. Uh, it deals with, uh, it, it just in one very efficient story, it, um, it just sets so many things straight. It just lets people realize, oh, this is who Jesus was and ultimately who God is. Like I can see in just in this simple story. Um, and, you know, once you start, here's the thing about the keys of the kingdom. Oh, man, I'm feeling the presence of God on this already. When the Holy Spirit hands you um, a set of keys to unlock stuff, you'll start hearing things very differently. I mean, you just will. Songs will sound different to you. Movies will have meanings that, they, you never saw before. Um, and when you unlock stuff, be prepared because the people who do not live in freedom, the people who don't use the keys 
have no idea what you're talking about. Um, they just have no idea. Like you say something, uh, like I was with a group of ministers one time and I said something about, they were talking about parables and I said something about the Wizard of Oz. I said, there's so many things you can teach out of that. And they all laughed. They were like, <laughs> how could you teach out of that? And I thought, God, you got, you know that scripture that says you are as brute beasts before the Lord. I thought you guys wouldn't know revelation if it hit you in the face. <laughs> and I, I just shut up. I was like, yeah, I know. I don't know what I was thinking. <laughs> um, and it will make your enjoyment of things so much greater because you'll see the, you'll see the, like everything will make sense to you. It's like, oh, wow, I never thought about that's what that meant. And, you know, that was the symbolism of that. And, um, and there's no point, people that don't live on that level, don't even try to just, just let them watch, just let them watch something real, you know, with a lot of explosions and stuff. Cause that, cause you're going to, you're going to freak them out if you try to, Get them if you try to unlock the door for them. Um, so the point is the very fact that first of all he's out of his country. He's in Samaria, and he's, it's a country that uh, I mean the Jews didn't like the Gentiles anyway, but they showed didn't like the Samaritans, and um, that's why even when Jesus gave the parable of the Good Samaritan, it was really radical because he was making the bad guy a hero of the story. It, it, it's like, it would be like a, well, you, I don't have to, you, know, you can imagine what it would be like. So um, the very fact that he's in Samaria and he's at Jacob's well, Jacob was such a, um, uh, Uh, Jacob was such a, um, y'all listen to me for a minute. <laughs> uh, I mean, I appreciate your comments, but just, if you're going to comment, just comment on what I'm talking about. Um, cause I, I just need to know you're paying attention. Um, what was I saying? Um, Jacob, I, I can't think of anybody that was more visionary than Jacob. Like when you think about the whole thing with the um, the uh, speckled and spotted rods that he put in front of the cows when he divided up the um, uh, livestock and um, whether that was biologically uh, possible or not, the fact is, it's such an incredible story about visualization. And really the ultimate story about visualization is the coat of many colors because Jacob himself made it for his son. And the whole thing about the coat of many colors, it's, it's so symbolic on so many levels. But what's really important about it is once uh, Jacob's, I mean, Joseph's brothers tried to commit fratricide and took the garment and tore it up, Joseph was still okay because by that time he had internalized the coat of many colors. It was no longer just a surface garment. Now it had become a, um, a um, state of mind. It had become a mindset. And that's why sometimes there are 
prophetic symbols, like, if I may refer to the Wizard of Oz again, at the end when the wizard gives each of the three characters, not Dorothy, but each of the three characters, he gives them something, like a diploma, uh, a, a medal of courage, and a, uh, something, was a testimonial, is that what he gives to the uh, uh, Tin Man? The fact is, all of those things already existed within those characters, but the, uh, the prophetic uh, symbolism, now I know it was a brain, but it's like the, it was a thing he gave, it was a testimonial that he gave uh, to confirm that uh, he had a brain. Anyway, it doesn't matter. Uh, the point is, each thing was a, um, a symbol of a reality that already existed. And sometimes prophetic symbols are very important. My um, loft is full of prophetic symbols for me. Everything, not everything, but so many things are placed here. I don't know that I necessarily intentionally practice feng shui, but, but there's so many things that that means that to me, that means that, that means that. And they're like everywhere I look, there are reminders to me of who I am. Uh, my, my environment is an extension of me. Um, and yours is too. You just might not be aware of it. So, so there's already significance that about what he's about to say here is in Samaria to somebody who is not Jewish, not of the seed of Abraham. Uh, they're in, um, they're at Jacob's well in a parcel of land that Jacob owned and gave to his son Joseph. So there's already, it, this is already a perfect storm uh, setting for something really transformative to go down, okay? So um, usually I don't read this story, but I'm going to read through it real quick. Um, when a Samaritan woman came to draw water, Jesus said to her, will you give me a drink? His disciples had gone into the town to buy food. Now, this would been this would at this time would have been unheard of on so many levels. The fact that a um, a man, a strange man, is speaking to a woman is just unheard of. Um, the fact that it's a Jewish man in Samaria, Samarita, just sitting you know, at Jacob's well, which was the center of the community. It's where all the women went in the morning to get their water for the day. So it was a hub of activity, which I always have always taught on that part of it. But even uh, a few days ago, I went to see the movie Teal about Emmett Teal, which is, it's, it's, uh, it's a masterpiece. Um, I can't imagine you wouldn't know this, but in case you don't, he was the 14-year-old kid from Chicago in 1955 who visited Mississippi and supposedly whistled at a white woman, which uh, a few months ago, she came out. She's nearly dead now, but she may, she may have already died. But she even said, that didn't even happen. I just made it up. And they, uh, these men, uh, to avenge her white honor, not they didn't just kill him. They severely, severely mutilated his body. I mean, every, they pulled his teeth out. They, it was horrible what they did to him. And his mother opened the casket and let everybody see it. And people were passing out when they saw him throwing up. But it really became even more so than 
uh, Rosa Parks refusing to go to the back of the bus, which happened later that year in Montgomery. Um, the Emmett Till thing was a catalyst for the civil rights movement. And there's still, my God, there's still work to be done, but things are better than they were in 1955. And when I was watching that the other night, when he, you know, he was just, his mother did not raise him with, um, I mean, he grew up in a, a black neighborhood in Chicago, and he just had never encountered white racism. It's like it just wasn't real to him. I mean, I'm sure he probably never even met anybody white. So, you know, his mother's trying to prepare him to go to Mississippi like you, you cannot act there like you do here. And if, you know, if a white person speaks to you, you, you know, there was a whole set of Jim Crow laws that were, you know, just, uh, they, were un, they weren't constitutional, but they were just things that white people demanded of black people. Even in Jimmy Carter's uh, autobiography, he talks about how there were two black boys that he grew up with and played with them his entire childhood, which I'm sure shaped him into becoming, you know, who he, who he became. But he said he remembered one day they were walking through a fence together. They were just, oh, just at a certain age, and the two black boys stood back and let him walk in first. And he said, I remember thinking, what are y'all doing? Because he had never required that of them. But I'm sure their parents, to protect them, had said, if you walk through a fence with a white boy, let him walk first, because he might kill you if you don't let him walk first. And uh, it was a very small thing, but Jimmy Carter said, I realized, oh, our lives are different now. I didn't ask for this, but I just saw this reality. And... Um, uh, even yesterday, you know, I made a joke about it and I wasn't making fun of her, but the woman who miscalled me the names, uh, she called me and it was funny. She called me, uh, uh, what was it? Uh, Mr. Swindley, Mr. Switley and Mr. Swiley. And I was not being rude with her. She's an older African-American woman and she's just trying to get my name right. But I said, no, ma'am, it's, it's Swilly. It's like it rhymes with Billy. And I don't think this was even intentional on her part, but she said, oh, thank you. Thank you for correcting me. And I thought, that's got to be a product of your generation. I'm sure you were taught, don't piss off a white man, you know? And I wanted to say to her, like, no, 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 I'm not, I'm not mad. I'm just, it's just funny to me, you know? But then I realized she doesn't know my name. And, and I, 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 there was just this very subtle thing where she became super apolog apologetic and I wanted to say, no, it's not, I'm not mad at you. I'm just, it's fine. I'm just, I could just tell that was old school training. Like you make sure you say that man's right. When I post it, name's right, name right. I just, I'm just responding because it's funny because I've been called like one thing, uh, one thing that uh, Howie wrote on the uh, there yesterday, he, said, he wrote Jim Art Zavelli, and that's a joke that we have because for years I was on several, for some reason I was on several mailing lists to Jim Art Zavelli. And so it's funny to me. And even yesterday we went to buy the car, the, the woman who was waiting on me said, are you Mr. Swivel? And I said, what's going on with my name today? It's just two syllables. But anyway, 
I just had this moment where I could tell, wow, she's really been taught to go the extra mile. And Now, if I said that to uh, some of these younger women who are concierges, they would be like, what? <laughs> I said it. You know what I mean? It's like a very different world now. Um, but, and that's probably stereotyping. I'm just saying some of the women that I joke with here, they would just think it's funny and, you know, Anyway, um, but when I watched Till, I was thinking, oh, this is very much like Jesus being out of his environment and speaking to a Samaritan woman. I mean, I don't know where the Samaritan men were, but it would have been very easy for somebody to report uh, a, a lone Jewish man just sitting on Jacob's well, like he belongs there, talking, not only talking to a, a Samaritan woman, but asking her for a drink. I mean, I don't know. That could have been, somebody could have, you know, there could have been some men somewhere that wanted to be vigilante over that kind of thing. Because that was, for one thing, men didn't hang out at the well. The well was where women went to, you know, get the, you know, they did the housework. And you got your, you went there in the morning. They didn't have running water. They went to the well in the morning and they filled up those gigantic urns. And that's what they cooked and washed with for the entire day. That was just what you did. So, um, uh, he says, will you give me a drink? I gotta get, I gotta get on this. I'm taking too long. The, the Samaritan woman said to him, you are a Jew and I'm a Samaritan woman. How can you ask me for a drink? Uh, for Jews do not associate with Samaritans. She's like, what? wait, what? What are, you, what are you talking about? Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it was that asks you for a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. Sir, the woman said, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where can you get this living water? Are you greater than our father Jacob who gave us the well and drank from it himself and did also his sons and his livestock? Jesus answered, everyone who drinks this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks the water I give will, will, give him, will never thirst. Indeed, the water I give them will become in them a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I won't get thirsty and have to keep coming here to draw water. Now, right there, this already shows that this woman, there's something unusual about her. Because typically, in this culture, that part of the world, a woman wouldn't have even engaged with him. If, if a strange man, especially a Jewish man, asked a Samaritan woman, will you give me something to drink? They would have just been like, just ignore him. Act like he's not there. And they would, have not, would not have engaged. At the very least, would have said, here, here's your water. Let's be done with this transaction immediately and just get out of there. But Jesus starts introducing these very abstract ideas and the woman kind of goes with it. Like there's something about her that's beyond, she's just a little different than the other women. And she's like, what are you wait, what are you talking about living water? And okay, where do I get this? I mean, the very fact that she said, tell me more. I mean, that was 
very unusual. Women at this time were taught, don't talk to the men, just shut up and just keep, you know, keep your business to yourself. Don't speak until you're spoken to. And this woman, she engages, which that already tells you a lot. Like, wow, this is, this lady's cut from another cloth. So then Jesus, which is typical for him, uh, which this, what he says there has nothing to do with water. Well, on the surface, it doesn't. Um, he says, go call your husband and come back. Uh, and most translations just says, he says, go call your husband. So in verse 17, she says, I have no husband. He says to her, you are right when you say you have no husband. King James says, you have well spoken. The fact is you have had five husbands and the man you now have is not your husband. What you have just said is quite true. Sir, the woman said, I can see you are a prophet. Our ancestors worshiped on this mountain, but you Jews claim that the place where we must worship is in Jerusalem. Woman, Jesus replied, believe me, a time is coming when you will worship the Father, neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem. Right there. That to me is the answer to Zionism and people uh, trying to create a theology out of a geopolitical thing like the nation of Israel. Even Jesus himself said, there's coming a time where... It, Israel won't even matter. It, like he's—he's he's not saying that. For, if you're Jewish, I'm not—I'm not denouncing the nation of Israel. I'm saying it's no holier than Russia or Brazil or the United States. Everywhere you go is the Holy Land, and Jesus Himself is saying this. He says the time is coming where we will neither worship in this mountain nor in Jerusalem. All these people who are coming up with these prophetic things about how we're all going to go back to Jerusalem and offer sacrifices. I'm like, if, if y'all ever, are you even familiar with the New Testament? Um, he says, you Samaritans worship what you do not know. We worship what we do know for salvation is from the Jews. Yet a time is coming and is now come when the true worshipers will worship the Father in the spirit and in truth, for they are the kind of worshipers the Father seeks. God is spirit. And his worshipers must worship him in spirit and in truth. I could read more, but let me just, um, for the sake of time, let me, let me just point out one thing to you. And then, I wanna, then I'm going to rock your world. I'm going to change your life in two minutes. Um, in the Message Bible, it says, um, but the time is, this is ver, uh, John 4, 23, the time is coming, in fact, in fact, it has, it has in fact come when what you're called will not matter and where you go to worship will not matter. This is um, John 4, 23 in the Message Bible. But the time is coming, it has in fact come when what you're called will not matter. And where you go to worship will not matter. All right. So to fast forward it, the woman gets up and she, uh, she goes into the nearby town. I talk about this all the time. She says, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. And uh, at that time, the disciples come back 
And they said, we got you something to eat. And he says, I have meat to eat that you know not of. All right. This is what I want to share with you that I've never shared before. When he says, um, he says, you're obsessing over things like where we worship and who we are. He says, God is spirit. Even when he says, she says, um, our father Jacob worshiped in this mountain. So she's speaking of the patriarchy. The, the, the patriarchy, the biblical patriarchy comes through men. Abraham begat Isaac. Isaac begat Jacob. Jacob begat Joseph and the 12 tribes of Israel. The women are non-essential. Jacob sired his 12 sons with four different women, two wives and two concubines, Rachel, Leha, Zilpah, and Bilhah. Uh, back then, this is why, you know, this, this was right about the time I was starting um, Metron, and as God is my witness, I wasn't thinking about this. I wasn't meditating on the scripture. The word had not even entered my mind. I'm driving over here just a few blocks from here, and as clear as a bell, I heard the voice that I call God, the voice in me say, you know, sperm isn't seed. <laughs> and I was like, I mean, I literally like turned around in the car like, what? Who just said that? Sperm isn't seed. And you know, I've taught on that before, um, how that in, in ancient times, they thought when a man impregnated a woman, he planted a seed in her. Now we know that um, with human contraception, uh, a male and a female produce a, an offspring that is comprised of 46 chromosomes and 23 are exactly from the father and 23 are exactly from the mother, the bio father, the bio mother. So that if I was really going to make a case for seed, a woman's egg cells would much more resemble seed than sperm would. Sperm, if anything, is fertilizer. And, you know, I, that's one of those things that you teach and it just goes over most people's heads. And uh, uh, Gargana, my friend from up north, he, he called me and he said, you realize you've just completely altered Christianity with this one. <laughs> I said, I know I wasn't trying to, but, you know, it, it changes everything that you think I've thought about the virgin birth and uh, like all of it. So when she says uh, our father, she says that what matters is the men. The, the women don't matter. But our father, Abraham, um, Jacob, worshiped in this mountain. And God says, well, the father, if that's the terminology you're going to use, the father is looking for people like you. But he said, but he basically says, uh, but the time is coming, God's a spirit, and the time's coming that it won't matter. And basically he was saying, I'm going to refer to God as Father because that's what people like you understand. But God is a spirit. God's not a gender. God doesn't have, uh, you know, male genitalia. Uh, God, is, God is a spirit. The, the, the genders are uh, a, a physical manifestation. Um, honestly, that's why I believe LGBT plus people play an important role in helping people understand the full nature of God, because, um, as much as it upsets people, the fact is when 
gender roles and sexual roles are altered, it forces people to either have to move toward God or move away from God. Uh, I heard Bishop Pearson preach in, um, I guess we were in Las Vegas at the TFAM conference, and he got up and talked about the age of Aquarius and that when you look at Aquarius, how um, it's a man pouring out a water pitcher, pitcher which is really a, symbolic of I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. And he says what's really unusual about it is it's a man pouring out the water. It's basically a man, he didn't say a man in drag, but he said it's a man doing what women typically do because the women were the ones who poured out the water. The, women's are the, one, the women are the one who went to Jacob's well in the morning and filled up their water pots. So the fact that Aquarius is a man doing women's work, it makes you... It makes you rethink gender roles, sexual identity roles, uh, all of that stuff. You say, oh, Bishop, here you go. You're so liberal and woke. No, I'm, I'm filled with the Holy Spirit. <laughs> if, if that's your definition of woke, then so be it. I'm filled with the Spirit. Uh, he says, you say father, I say father. That's the understanding we have now. But lady, come up higher. God is a spirit and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. What's that got to do with what Doug, with what Doug Wentz said today? All right. Some of you will have no idea what I'm talking about, but there was a time back in the day when uh, sometimes like we'd have revivals or meetings in churches where there'd be uh, a minute. So one of them, I didn't even know this. I wasn't even sure this guy was still alive. And mom said he called her last week and talked to her. He got minister from up in uh, Vancouver. And, um, but I remember there were some, some of these prophetic guys that would come along and uh, <laughs> I'm starting stuff this way. <laughs> I'm doing what I'm born to do, Chantella. I'm you are seeing a man fulfill his destiny right before your eyes. Um, I mean, I was born, if, if that Ernst & Young building wasn't there, I could, see, I could see the hospital window where I was born, uh, and that's where it all started. But um, it was not uncommon for some of these prophetic ministers to just get up and, and call people out and say stuff like, uh, Brother so-and-so right there on the third row, you're having an adulterous relationship with, so, with that woman back there. I mean, they would just tell everybody's business. And man, you talk about the fear of God falling on people. I mean, even when I was a kid, of course, I didn't even fully know what it meant to be gay, but I knew I, knew I was not like I was supposed to be, according to everybody else. And man, when those guys would start that, I'd be like, Oh, Jesus, Jesus, please, please don't tell anybody. Please don't let that man know that I watched Tarzan this uh, this past Saturday and I thought Johnny Weissmuller looked cute in his loincloth. Please, oh, I rebuke it. Every, oh, Jesus, please, I'm just I'm just nine. Please forgive me for watching Tarzan. I take authority. I, I, I cast down imaginations. I bind Tarzan. Please don't let that evangelist know I watched Tarzan. Oh, please, God, oh, please. I mean, it was it was terrifying. I mean, it is funny, but it was, it's some, um, it's some sick stuff that you have to work through. But anyway, um, this one particular evangelist who my mom said called her this week, I mean, he, his wasn't so much about sex stuff, but he would call people out, you know, about drug addiction and people would come, you know, lay their needles down on the, uh, altar and it, 
But oddly enough, the response was very much like um, this, the woman at Samaria. Like when he says, you've well said, you've had five husbands. You, I mean, you don't have a husband because you've had five and you're living with a man. He wasn't saying it like, I'm going to tell on you. He wasn't even, there wasn't even judgment in what he was saying. He was saying that the fact that you told the truth about yourself and you're not trying to act religious in front of me, this is what, who, who you and I right now call the Father, which is really God. God is looking for people, because God's a spirit, and God's looking for people who will worship him, her, it, in spirit and in truth. Now, what's that got to do with her being so excited? Come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. It's not, it's not that you want somebody to tell all your business, but there's something about somebody knowing the truth about you and not only uh, letting it be a, a, a safe space for you, but actually applauding you for your transparency, which is exactly what Jesus did. Jesus said, you know what, lady, just between you and me sitting on this side of this well in Samaria of all places, this is like a moment of truth where there's no pretense and you're just, he not only doesn't condemn her for the many relationships, but here's the piece where the synchronicity comes in from this morning. And I've taught along these lines, but what if, Everything you've experienced in your life, the good and the bad, all of it. What if it was all supposed to happen to make you who you are? Just hear me out. The fact that this woman, think about this. Jesus says, I can give you living water. And she's like, okay. I, I just venture to say that most of her contemporaries, most of the women, would probably be not that, op first of all, not even open to talking to a strange man, but then to, for him to introduce this very abstract concept. And she's like, okay. I mean, she's like kind of on the same frequency with him. And then you think, wow, this woman's been through a whole bunch of relationships. Maybe she wasn't a skank. Maybe she wasn't promiscuous. Maybe she just couldn't, maybe it wasn't that she just couldn't make a marriage work. Maybe it's that she was a seeker. Maybe all those men was just her still trying to find, that's not it, that's not it, that's not it. Where's the truth? Where's the truth? Maybe... Every mistake you ever made was just symptomatic of your trying to find the truth. Maybe, here's a thought, maybe you don't have to be ashamed of it. Because this woman, this is, this is the one thing I see about this whole interaction with Jesus and the woman at the well. There's just no shame at all. Like when he says, um, you... Uh, You've had five husbands and you're living with a man that's not your husband. And she's not, she's not put off by it. If anything, she's like, wow, I see you're a prophet. There's just something so 
extra about somebody who can respond like that. Instead of saying, how dare you? How dare you uncover me like that? Or to lie about it. You know, who do you think you are? You don't know me. She's just like, she's just not um, offended by it. I'm, I'm telling you, there, there's a, I'm at a place in my life now, not that I ever really hear this, but sometimes if something comes up from back in the past, somebody will say, you know, like for instance, one day, um, this is a few years back, somebody that used to go to church in the now died and they asked me to do the funeral. So I did the funeral and at the graveside, uh, you know how the, when you're under the tent, the family sits on the front row. I was walking down the line after I'd finished the graveside service and speaking to each person. And I must have, uh, I must have reached out to hug this woman who was sitting in the front row. And she, I don't think she stood up, but she said it loud enough that everybody under the tent could hear her. And she said, oh my God, I went to your church for 10 years and you never hugged me one time. Finally, you hugged me out here by this grave. And I'm like, ma'am, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm hugging you now. And some, this is the part, when somebody says, um, do you miss the mega church days? Let me just say this as, um, let me say this as kindly as I can. I'm very proud of the accomplishments, but the answer to that is hell no. And I'll tell you why. When you're that guy who's in charge of that many people, the way people isolate you and demand things of you and act like it's at least for me was so overwhelming that I don't miss that at all. And it was interesting that yesterday this happened because um, I was not planning on buying a car. I'm trying to shut up. I I could have cut a lot of words out of this, but um, I was not in the market to buy a car. But I got, day before yesterday, I got a letter from the dealership that said, we're running this special from now until November 30th. They're wanting to promote this one particular, it's a small SUV uh, called a Corsair, which is interesting. It, it, a Corsair was a, like a pirate, a pirate, a privateer. Uh, I was reading about him this morning. It's kind of interesting title. And I've, I've driven Lincolns, one form of Lincoln, most of my uh, adult life. So I, I really love Lincoln. I know Henry Ford was a Nazi sympathizer, but I love the car. Sometimes I eat at Chick-fil-A, so there you have it. Um, <laughs> bad activist, bad activist. Anyway, um, so the, they, they sent this letter and they said, we've looked at your stuff. You can come in if you want to now with what you still owe on your car. You can trade it in. They, they said for a 2023 Corsair. It actually was a, a 2022, but it's fine. You can come in and trade it in. You don't have to put anything down and your monthly payment will actually be less. And so, I mean, Ken loves cars, loves looking at any cars, knows everything about... You, you should, if you go buy a new car, you should have Ken go with you because it's like he makes it so much more exciting because he points out all these stuff that I wouldn't have even noticed and he's like really into it. And I love seeing a new car through his eyes. 
He just, I, yesterday, again, I said, how do you know all this stuff? He said, I just love cars. I've always loved cars. And that's, that's really cool. Um, he went down, just, he's sitting here now, but uh, he wanted to get uh, certain stuff fixed before we drive to Chattanooga, which if I don't shut up, we're not going to make. We are. We have to be there at five. So, um, so I said, well, you, you, you just go look at them. I don't even know. I said, I think I drove one once when I was having some car service. And I li- there was, it had a couple of features I liked about them. And I'm not really that much into a, it's not, what do they call it, a crossover? It's like a smaller SUV. But even though I don't do a lot of large paintings now, when I do have a large canvas, it's, I've, sometimes I have to rent a U-Haul van just to, just to move the canvas, which is ridiculous. And this at least has seats I can plop down, I can put a bigger canvas in, so, that, so there's that. So I thought, okay, well, let's, let's just go look. And you know how it happens when you go and look at a thing. Before you know it, you're kind of talking about it. And uh, the young lady who waited on me, I liked her. And, you know, I was joking around with her, and she got it. And uh, so, you know, at a certain point, you know, I picked out one, and she says, do you want me to have them go crunch the numbers on this? And I'm like, yeah. Okay, so next thing I knew, I'm in a guy's office buying a car. And I nearly, I nearly had an attitude about it because I said, wait, this is, I wasn't totally sure I was going to do this today. It was just kind of like, it's not that they pressured me into it, but they were just really good uh, salespeople. So in the course of the whole thing, um, you know, there he's. You have to fill out all kind of stuff, and you have to, you know, you have to give him a lot of information and all kind of stuff. So somehow, when he asked, "What do you do for a living?" I just said, "Self-employed." And um, but then, as the conversation progressed, I don't know how it came up, but somehow by this time, she, the salesperson had come into, um, wait, what do you say? Yes, exactly, Doug. Uh, she was sitting in the office too. And um, somehow in the conversation, it came up that he used to go to New Birth and knew a lot of people there. And so we started, so he was asking me some things, he, you know, he said, did you know Eddie Long? And I said, yeah, I, I've known him for years. And, and so we were kind of, nothing negative, but just talking about some stuff. And he said, so you're not in the ministry? I said, yeah, but I'm just giving him one. I said, just Google me. It's easy to find. I said, I, I came out a few years ago and I, uh, I lost my mega church. I still have a ministry. And I could tell they were being very careful, but they weren't, they I assume they knew we were a couple, I guess, but it just, it just took them a second, I think, to process it because she said, well, I go to World Changers. I said, oh, really? I said, your, your pastor preached about me one time and said I, was, said I was a reprobate, so there's that. And she said, he did? I said, well, that was many years ago. I said, I'll hold that against you. You know, it's, it's just, that was just his thing. So we end up talking all about... Um, church and, you know, all the conversation that I kind of don't want to have. 
Um, but the point is, is that's who I am. There's no way it's not going to come up in conversation. It ended up, you know, I thought, well, here I go. I'm shining the light here. And, um, and what was really cool about it is, uh, when the woman, when the, when the, um, Samaritan woman said, come meet a man who told me everything I ever did. The salesperson yesterday who called me Mr. Swivel, and she meant this in the sweetest way. She said, well, um, you know, people shouldn't be judged for their mistakes and, you know, God forgives anything. And I said, well, no, my coming out wasn't a mistake. I said, I'm very happy with who I am. So, uh, you know, she said, well, no, I don't mean, I said, no, it's just, I'm, I know that's typically people's response, but I'm awesome, just like I am, gay and all. And she said, oh, you know, I'm, I'm sure you are. I said, I'm just, you know, because that's, you know, that's an old mindset. Well, God can forgive anything. Well, no, I don't have to go, <laughs> have God forgive me for being me. I was just born. I mean, people say we're, when I first came out, they'd be like, we're praying for you. I'm like, what exactly are you praying? You praying I wasn't born? Because I was, baby, I was born this way. And it's not that you want to just um, be uh, over the top in declaring your I amness. But what's so wonderful about this story and that it happened at a well, there's so many, I could, I could do an entire series on this. The symbolism of the well, the symbolism of Jacob's connection. And the fact that she's like, he just set me free. He didn't, he didn't say, uh, uh, lady, you, you need to get your house in order. He's like, you've had five husbands, you're living with a man now. The spirit or God is looking for people just like you. What, people that can't get their relationships worked out? No, people who just tell the truth. People just tell the truth about who they are. And yesterday, I'm sitting there with these two people, a very obviously heterosexual man who was waiting on me. Who was, it was, of course, being nice because I'm, you know, I'm making a sale there. But I'm also letting them know when they said, when they say, well, God can forgive anything. I'm like, no, 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 no. There was nothing, there was nothing I need to be forgiven for. If anything, I'm... The Father is looking for people like me who worship him in spirit and in truth. And when you get that, when you, when you have that key in yourself, everybody you talk to, you set free because you realize there's no shame. There's no, like, whatever you're hiding from, just, just own it. You don't have to tell all your business. Proverbs says a fool speaks his whole mind. But this is, and I, this is the part I've never said before. When people say, well, what was Jesus talking about? You know, I will give you rivers of living water, rios de agua viva. Um, what was it? Is it eternal life? Yeah, it's eternal life. But can I explain to you that eternal life isn't you go into heaven when you die. <laughs> if you have eternal life, it means eternal life means there was no beginning. There's no end to it. Etern eternity doesn't have bookends. What the water of the well is, is baby you're just fine like you are. And the more you become yourself, the more God, 
God is a spirit. Listen to me. God is a spirit. And they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. You could draw a direct correlation between the amount of truth you walk in compared to the amount of the spirit you walk in. When it's just a little bit of truth, a little bit of spirit. When it's all truth, baby, it's Holy Ghost. It's, it's the spirit. God is a spirit. And he's looking for people who stop trying to find out crap about each other and judging each other. And, oh, you ain't saved. Or you ain't this. or like, You don't even know what you're talking about. And to, to own yourself, to own who you are, is drawing out of Jacob's well. It is the water of life. And to be able, when I sat there yesterday in that office of those people, it wasn't like I was going, I'm here, I'm queer, I get used to it. I did, that wasn't even necessary. She was a very nice young woman who was speaking with what she knew. And she's like, oh, we don't judge you. I'm like, well, no, just, I'm not worried about you judging me. I mean, that's, I, I said, that man standing right there, that's my husband. And he's out there looking at cars because my husband loves cars. And it's, it's, it's okay. And I, it, it's not like we were in a kind of argument. It was like, I feel like my sitting there in all of my I amness, little by little, helped those two people rethink a certain religious mindset. When you realize, oh, people are just people. And, uh, you know, if you're gay or trans, or whatever, you're not broken. You may have to explain to people how you want to be seen, but God is a spirit. And the spirit, which transcends, I know you're thinking father, but God is a spirit. God is not father, God is spirit. God is spirit, and the more you walk in the spirit, the the more supernatural uh, transformation takes place. I have so many more things I could say, but we got to get on the road. Uh, I love you. I'm going to read your comments. Um, Go make sure you're signed up for the uh, um, Christmas thing. We'll be back uh, December, uh, first Sunday in December. Have an excellent Thanksgiving. I'm very grateful for all of you. And, uh, and I'll be back, I'm sure I'll be back uh, uh, tomorrow night on 11-11, so I'll have plenty of time to talk about Thanksgiving between now and then. All right? I love you. Uh, if you want to support the ministry, go to bishinthenow.com. It's good ground. If you want to give to me personally, I have all the cash apps. All right? You're awesome. Keep drinking water out of the well where you will never grow thirsty again. The, the water I give you, Jesus said, will give you, uh, you will never thirst again. You will always know who you are in God. All right? I love you. Love yourself. Peace.